Welcome to the Other Side of the Mountain podcast series brought to you by Mount Tam Media. I'm your host, Tammy Larson. Join me and a cast of amazing co-hosts as we share the stories and perspectives from those we consider hidden treasures, including never-before-discovered people from all walks of life who, by either living through extraordinary circumstances or just born with transcendental qualities, have gained or possess information that must be heard. Our hope is that listeners, as they journey with us to the other side of the mountain, will be inspired to make positive change in their lives, breaking free of tired box thinking and embracing one that's spherical and unified. Hi. Hey. Uh, so, everyone, this is our, our second episode for The Other Side of the Mountain, where we actually are interviewing our first guest. We are just beyond thrilled to offer all of you an opportunity to learn about Isabella Welch and uh, Steph. We met her right around the same time, right? And that's sort of even what led to this coming to fruition eventually. Absolutely. Yeah. And also just a note that Bella was featured in Mill Valley Living Magazine. Yep. In which issue? Thirty third issue. Well, you can go on, you'll see, look on the Mountain Media website and it's under magazine. It's also out there on social media on our Instagram, which is Mill Valley Living slash Mountain Media. Plug, plug, plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Bella is just such a beautiful, beautiful being. And we're so grateful. Yeah, we both learned a lot from her. I think she's changed our lives, honestly. Mm, and, and I'm not kidding around when I say that. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. More very important introduction, and that is Isabella Welch is here with us, and she is a disability inclusion consultant, model, focusing on redefining beauty and creating representation in the mainstream media. And uh, before we have an official introduction to Bella, just want to say that this has sort of changed our direction even in terms of what we thought we would be talking about on the other side of the mountain, uh, certainly enhanced and given us so much to think about. So welcome. Oh, well, thank you, Tammy. It's such a pleasure to be here today. We're so happy to have you with us. So Bella, to start with, why don't we go back and hear about your early childhood experiences? I would love to. So I was born with a really rare facial cleft where my lip was attached to my eye and I didn't have a lower eye orbit and a really underdeveloped cheekbone. So I've had 23 reconstructive surgeries to repair it. When I was born, my eye didn't close. It doesn't close fully even now, but we've gotten it to a place that it pretty much does. They are all, also my eye was a lot lower, so we've been able to reconstruct and build the structures around my eye to lift it and make it more symmetrical with my right eye. And I grew up, I never knew anyone that looked like me, let alone seen anyone in media that I felt I could relate to. And for a long time, I didn't use social media. When I turned 19, I was diagnosed with a really rare genetic condition known as vascular Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And I experienced a lot of symptoms and pain and I would compare myself to my peers to the umpt degree because I felt like I, in a lot of ways, wasn't able to be a quote-unquote young person and just explore the world and be carefree. 
because of my health conditions. And then on top of it, with a cleft, looking physically different, it just adds to it. So I was constantly feeling like I was comparing myself and I was in this process of, you know, really getting to know myself and realize my worth. And I recognized how negative an impact social media had for me. So for a really long time, I stopped using it. And after I graduated college, I've always worked to create inclusion and understanding surrounding my cleft. Like anytime, as a young child, anytime anyone came up to me and said something, I always made it a point to go up to them, introduce myself, be like, hi, I'm Bella. You know, I know it looks a little different, but there's actually nothing wrong. Like, just like you have green eyes or I have green eyes and you have blue eyes. Like they're just different, but you know, there's nothing that's actually different about them. They just look different because my cleft doesn't, well, in a lot of ways, didn't feel like it was impacting my day-to-day functional, like functionality. So after I graduated college, my sister actually is the one who contacted a incredible photographer in London who was doing a scar series and I got invited out to be a part of his scar series. And in doing so, I really recognized like how I, just because I didn't have that experience of having somebody I could relate to, that I could be that person for somebody else and help everyone like really understand and like love themselves. Yeah, right. Well, and we had an opportunity to interview your sister. Yeah. And she, I mean, the very first thing she said was just like, you know, you're the most amazing person that she's ever met in her life. I don't know that <laughs> you weren't on that call, but it was it was unbelievable. And that's something that you were dealing with was just that you look different for so many years of your life. And but it, then, you know, turning 19 and being diagnosed with, by the way, this is something you've probably had your whole life, well, but they weren't able to really diagnose it and until, you know, something happened and it was, they think, possibly a, a car accident that you were in. Yes. So my EDS, I always had random freak accidents as a kid, really easily bruised, like really easy bruising. You can see all the veins pretty much throughout my body. And I was involved in a car accident my senior year. And then a couple months later, ended up having this like really bad migraine experience and which led into getting a some MRI imaging, which they found a pseudoaneurysm in a dissection of my carotid artery. And what is hard with the vascular EDS is, yes, it's very painful at times, and I have, you know, flare-ups, but it's actually fatal. So, and anything could do it. So it could be like a sneeze could do it. Flipping my hair up and down could do it. So being 19 and feeling like I literally have to live in a bubble because I'm terrified of dying. I feel like I gave up so much of my life as a young child to go through the surgeries and not have a normal childhood experience in so many ways. And also recognizing that those surgeries were going to end at a certain point or really, you know, scale back because, I mean, I was having surgery every six to nine months from the time I was three months old. Wow. And so 
recognizing that once I was around 18, 20, that that would really scale back and I would be able to live this like normal life. Mm -hmm. And so to be 19 and then getting this diagnosis and realizing like literally anything that I did could kill me was terrifying. And so as I talked about earlier about, you know, feeling like I was so different than my peers in a way that I hadn't experienced previously because with my cleft, yes, it looked different, but it really didn't impact my life right? in so many ways. And EDS, the way that it, it's a progressive syndrome, yeah, it's a progressive syndrome. So the majority of your symptoms don't really start to manifest until you're in your early 20s. Wow. So that's why a lot of misdiagnoses and it goes undiagnosed in children is because it's progressive. So you don't really see the full effect until early to mid 20s, sometimes later. It, it depends on every person. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, no, it terrified me. I felt like I had given up so much of my life mm -hmm. and that it had a purpose right? because I was going to have this a whole adult life to live and just be. Right. And then all of a sudden, it felt like, what was the point of giving up all that time? Right. It didn't make sense. It didn't. Then, you know, so that was a really hard thing to process. And it took a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think, wow, it's not easy. I also am really grateful for it in so many ways, because despite that, it gave me this new understanding of life and appreciation of life that... I wouldn't have without this experience because I know that right. every moment is, is special. Is special. Give us an example of that. Like, so, you know, I always think about this now when like I woke up this morning, not feeling well. Mm -hmm. And now I think about you and like you, you wake up and it's not just about that, but you, you wonder, well, you know, I want to go on a hike, but I got to be careful because if I bump into something or something happens, it's not like, okay, I'm not feeling well. And so I'm going to lose a few hours of work. It's like, you know, I've got to think about everything I do because, you know, I could do something very simple and then not be here any longer. Not to mention the pain that we, you know, most of us complain about, you know, a, a scratch or, you know, <laughs> body ache here or there, but you're dealing with this on a regular basis. So you know, first of all, how do you overcome that? And then, and when did you start, first start to notice things and look at things from a different perspective? Yeah, I think when I first got diagnosed, it felt like all the doctors were saying, everyone around me, it was, I was being told like everything that I can't do, mm. right? So every, there's a million things that I can't do. So then the way I'm walking around the world is like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do this. I can't. And that you feel trapped, like you're living in a bubble. And I think what shifted was like, oh, I actually can do these things. And being like, okay, I can't do that, but I can do it in my own way. Mm. And also sometimes you got to risk it for the biscuit, you know? Like <laughs> you got to weigh those odds of... Yeah. Yes, this might. I think what's interesting about the EDS is I can go from being completely fine one moment to not the next. And so there's this uncertainty that's like constantly surrounding me. And I've really had to work on like removing myself from that and recognizing that if and when it does occur, whether it's a dislocation or more seriously, or more serious things like an aneurysm. Like, I will handle it when it happens. I can't be afraid of the things happening because I'm not living. 
Exactly. But let's just put that in perspective for everybody listening right now, okay? Because there are a lot of people that they won't do things like fly to see relatives far away because they're afraid that they might die on that plane, even though the statistics are lower. You know, they won't do something, They, you know, and they're telling their kids constantly, don't do this, you know, you could die, you could die, you could die, right? So, so when you say take a risk, it's not like I'm going to go skydiving tomorrow. A risk for you is is what? Tell. I, I mean, it could it could be a little bit like going on a walk could be a risk. I also think that going back to it, being symptomatic, you there's a lot of hopelessness attached to it. So, like in a big flare up, which a flare up could last a couple of days to a couple of months. So, what I've really learned how to do is to do the things that I can do when I can do them, so that when I can't, I recognize that I'm going to get back to that place and that I've done everything that I can do. And it's like almost motivation to get back there. Last December, actually, I had got a spontaneous aneurysm in my right leg and actually almost died. And I'm really into hiking. I went from in college being so symptomatic, I couldn't get out of my bed to then, and for months, to then being able to hike eight miles, something I never thought I would ever be able to do in my entire life. Wow. And, you know, to, to recognize that I can be in such a place physically that doesn't allow me to do much, to go to the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And in December, when all of this happened, I just, I felt like, here we go again. It's happening again, and, and it's going to, you know, derail my life. It's putting everything on pause. And I think that it's really hard to, when things are constantly like going up and down, it's really hard to stay motivated in things mm-hmm. and and dedicated. And there's a lot of, um, especially with like exercise, for example, like with the way that my body works, I lose muscle mass like three times faster than the average person. And because of my hypermobility, exercise is really beneficial to help keep my joints in place. And so a couple of days of not exercising for me is a couple, like a week or two for somebody else. And so I would feel so trapped by feeling like, mm-hmm. I know that this is good for me and I know I need to do it, and yet I can't. And it's going to cause all these other symptoms to come up if I don't. And how to, you know, maintain it and doing it like, I'm kind of getting off Yeah, track no, here, no, no. But well, I mean, no. Well, I think, again, and so that's, I mean, just just recognizing that. I mean, you know, because, you know, again, if you don't do it, then this happens. Whereas... So many people in the world need to be doing a lot of things all the time, too, but they don't do it because it's not imminent. It's not like, but yet often can have the same result, right? So Yeah, I also think that, especially like anything, I used to have this frame of of mindset of like, I have to like do it to like the full extent. So if it was working out, it meant I'm working out for like an hour. And like, that doesn't work for my body. For me, I started with literally 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And that was like, I was like, yeah, I did that. And so then I would honor that within myself. Instead of being like, oh, I could have done more. Like being like, yes, I did that today. Yes, I got out of bed today. Right. Yes, I did two minutes of, you know, a little stretching exercise. And that builds on each other. And I think that the biggest takeaway this entire experience has given me is 
that like we're so like determined as a society just like go full speed ahead and we don't stop often mm-hmm. and the eds has yeah. i'm gonna say gifted me the opportunity to have to stop right. and really reevaluate like what matters in life right and isn't that kind of what it's all about? It's what everybody, everybody's striving for nirvana and to, yeah. to reach this place and they're, they're, they're climbing and going and going. But what I think and what we've talked about in several other conversations is that what this has really caused you to do is because you have to be, is in the moment. Mm-hmm. And when you are in that moment is where so much of the beauty is that people think that they're going to see or it's going to happen when they reach a certain goal. What you found is that all of the things that people are searching for, sort of that that peace that, you know, to really understand love to, you know, is is to be in the moment which you have become. And figuring that out, it seems is what's really led you to maybe overcome some of your own fears of social media and of because you now you feel you really do have something to talk about. And yeah. tell me if I'm wrong. I could be no, wrong no, about this, but I you're mean, so right. I mean I think when it, going back to the social media, I think also it's it's how you you use social media, right? Like, mm-hmm. I do not follow anyone that makes me feel compared or self-conscious or, and I'll mute people. Like, anyone that's not inspiring me or, like, creating a positive environment. And social media, you know, has so many negative components to it. There's so much research out there. We know this. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of good that can come from it too, right? Like I, after doing this photo series, I got reached out to by a family in Turkey who has a child with not my exact cleft, but the closest cleft I've ever seen. And like my cleft is so, so rare. There's there's only a handful of people with it in the Mm -hmm. world. And they reached out to me. They found me on social media and they reached out to me and it was just such a beautiful experience to be able, they have a, a young daughter who's I think she's four now and they were just asking all these questions that you know I know my parents felt would have been beneficial for them as well but you know for for her too like to have somebody that already has been through such a similar experience and has come out the other side yeah you know right exactly. with the perspective and love right for this world yeah go ahead Steph Steph's leaning in I was just gonna say <laughs> well I was gonna say like one is that you've come out the other side so you can bring that back to them and like just thinking about like when you first tell me we're speaking of other side of the mountain I was also thinking of other side of the family like what how much what your process can give to her parents to then help her with her process yeah so sort of the giving back so while while you have of everything within you and what you've learned to then gift to her yeah to make her life easier earlier yeah and then to them to make their lives it just smooths it out that's why we love life she she always takes she always takes things and puts it in a way that's so beautiful yeah Yeah, that's true sort of thinking of the the whole dynamics of everyone involved because there's so much to it for sure yeah and I mean like I mentioned earlier like I've always been I always understood that people's reactions comments stares stem from the unfamiliar Mm -hmm. and so the quicker I could use that moment to introduce myself explain it kind of get I hate saying this phrase but get the elephant out of the room 
Yes. Everyone that knows me, that once you've met me, you don't see it. That's what everyone's told me. Oh, yeah. You know, you don't know. I, Even no, people you first meet, I mean, and Steph can attest it. I mean, we've, yeah. we've been hanging out with you pretty consistently now for quite some time. And, and we do work together and in town. And I've been with you many times and watched you completely disarm someone very fast, very fast. It's yeah. like, wow. You know, where they'll they'll look at you and you can tell that they're, they want to ask questions or maybe thoughts are swirling through their head. And then, you know, all you have to do is smile, that smile, and, and suddenly they forget. And they do. And then all of a sudden the conversation you can feel just flows in the way it should have right away. But, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, well, going to that point, again, it's we have so much, so many things that are, are not talked about in regards to anyone with a facial difference or a physical disability. You know, we're not, we're taught to, like, kind of be hush hush about it and so then yeah somebody that might be asking or like having all these questions swirling in their mind might you know be afraid to come up to me and talk to me about it and I I struggle with this because I recognize that everyone has a different approach with this this is my approach with it so like I would always rather somebody come up to me and ask a question or talk to me and do you think it's fair to say that, do you think a lot of people I do feel think, that way that have something? I, mean, do you th- I find that it's tricky because I recognize that there are plenty of people that don't want to have to deal with it too. Like, it's almost like you're always on when you're in public. Right. So that can be taxing. And so I also recognize, yeah, people just want to go about their life and not have to worry yeah, that's and that's kind of like where like if we put that in in the beginning, like when we're educating people to start with right. about inclusion to begin with, then it kind of will bring and and you've spoken to this, so like I'm speaking to you yeah. from what you've spoken of of like you know when people know about it to begin with when we're not educated in systems that are so like small like small thinking on what's quote-unquote normal right when we include to start with in the way we educate people in general then we have different results down the road and that's it also feels like that's what you're bringing in as well yeah no definitely I mean I feel that there are it's just so crazy to me that People are so, as a society, we're so consumed by, like, what is normal. Right, right. As a, you know, we, we want to be normal. We want, there are certain, you know, parameters of what is accepted and what is not. And, and they're tiny. And they're, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's so wild to me because at the same time, I truly feel like uniqueness is the most beautiful like thing a person could embody Mm. it's it's them being them exactly and we're taught so we're taught we can't be we have to that we have to fit this mold right and who's who's shaping that mold who you know and it feels like that's what kind of what you're doing like the reshaping what what is beautiful you know that's a little bit of the yeah the, the message you've been trying to get out there and i know a lot of people are it's resonating with many people because they're coming to you and asking you to be a part of their inclusion campaigns and and so what do you think is sort of the the most important or first step that people can take in general when it comes to reshaping their own beauty or how they feel about themselves or the world? I mean, what what would you say yeah. is the most important? I think it's interesting because growing up, I could always put on a smile and I could always, you know, if somebody said something, like as even as a little kid, when somebody would say something mean, you know, 
my friends and sisters would want to get defensive and say something mean back. And I was always, always make it a point to like, no, like they just don't know. And like not meeting them with the same negativity that they're meeting me with. But at the same time, that didn't mean it didn't impact me. It messed with me so much. And it took like really like learning how to love myself, like Mm -hmm. not just being okay with it, not just accepting it, but like loving it. Right. And I think that's still Mm -hmm. a constant thing I'm working on. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we often, we see people in the media that have overcome something and we just now assume that they're on the other side of it and that they don't continue to deal with it. Or it doesn't impact them anymore because they're, mm-hmm. you know. Somehow miraculously, like, yeah. yeah. Like, it doesn't impact them, but it does. Yeah. It's just I've learned how to not be so consumed by that. Mm-hmm. So part of it is, because I do, I do a lot. I like mirror work. So mm-hmm. even as simple, I was listening to a podcast like a while back, and, and it was about this high five. So every morning when you wake up, when you're just like, before you brush your teeth, you just look in the mirror and you give yourself a high five. And it's like, hey, I'm showing up for myself today, you know? Right. As my my raw, authentic, real self. No makeup. My hair's not done. I'm not looking cute. It's like, right. but I'm going to show up for myself. Right, yeah. And I think a lot of it is also working on, like, I got to this place in college where I was so symptomatic, and then on top of it, dealing with the most, I don't want to say hate, but, you know, stares and comments and, and negative opinions about me at the exact same time. And so they impacted one another. Like, even going to the grocery store, just because of my physical state at the time would feel like this monumental event. Like that was like the only thing that I did today would be to do that. And then I would go and I would have five interactions that were really negative. Mm -hmm. And it would just feel like I can't handle any of this. I literally don't know how I'm going to like keep doing this. Mm -hmm. And I you know then I would get in the car and I would be bawling crying and just so dis heartened by society and the world and recognizing that with my EDS you you no one would know I'm experiencing this it's invisible right so then on top of it navigating these people's opinions about me just based on the the way I look when they have no idea about my experience Mm -hmm. and I have worked really hard to shift those thoughts so anytime I have a negative thought about myself or if I'm frustrated or I could have done something better I use it as a moment to shift it so like even if it's like oh that was so stupid of me Mm -hmm. I'll shift it into like wow I really just showed up for myself right or I did it you know so as you just said you shifted your thought yeah okay because you understand the impact of your thought on your physical state and on your well-being. So yeah. my, my point is that with that, and you've also spoken about being impacted by people, whether they say something or just think something. And I come back to this as we're on the other side of the mountain of like thinking about how thinking and energy and how it feels, whether spoken or unspoken, whether they're standing behind you or in front of you. 
it's a felt sense. And I think that I'm just bringing that back to like sort of a re-education of like the capacity that we have as humans, how what we feel does come through us towards someone else or or not yeah and how it impacts someone else and i'm and just drawing that back also to like why and how and you can answer wherever but like you know you know not to do that because you feel it and you felt it and you don't want to hurt people which is also i think why i meet people with like a smile because i have no idea what anyone is going through in their day and maybe that is going to be the one thing that, you know, made somebody feel a little bit better right? in their day. I have you know, and that's, that's anyone. And going back to it, then the result, it, the energy that it, it brings to their life. And spreads. And spreads, right? Right. So while you, you know, while you've been thinking like, okay, it's, you know, and I, we talked about disarming because people will see you and they're thinking, but then just that smile, you know, can not just disarm them and get them out of their head thinking what they were thinking, but also have a large impact on maybe just something that was happening in their day that was invisible to you. Yeah. Yeah, because we, like you said, we, there's so many things that are invisible no yeah. to, to everyone else. Right, exactly. And so a lot of what you, what, what you're trying to do in terms of your work and it feels like, What's nice is that is sort of the underlying what I was getting to asking, what do you feel like the most important thing is what I'm hearing is a a lot of it is, is taking the time to really feel and be and look at yourself in the mirror and get comfortable with that raw, authentic self, even when it hurts, even when you're feeling pain, even when it's like you're dealing with stuff. And then what you're trying to do is also with your work is, is, is help people come up with tools that have worked for you or just things you've learned about how to then turn that into opportunity. So, you know, maybe there, who knows what the situation is. It could be physical, it could be invisible, but sitting in that, you know, really feeling that. Yeah. And then what can I do? What are some things I can do to shift that perspective off of it being a negative thing to doing something then that is good for yourself or other people? Certainly, the more we engage with other people and we trust them, you know, we trust them. And even if they have a moment of judgment, trust that they can get past that. Mm -hmm. You're allowing that. And so I I love that's part of the work you're doing, which is also... Yeah, well, I think that's... I mean, another thing we can touch on is this idea of like toxic positivity, right? We think about people being positive and like there's this assumption that if if you're positive, you don't experience the negative emotions. No, in fact, it's that you do experience them and you allow yourself to experience them. And then you can see the perspective of it. Right. Right. So then you can actually not hold on to like that's what I was trying to get at earlier is that as a kid, I would pretend like it didn't hurt me. And even to myself, I wouldn't let it get to me. And then I would break down Mm. maybe months later. And and it would be like a combination of all the things that I didn't want or know how to address because I was so strong that those things didn't hurt me. Right. But, like, again, strength, and I've talked about this on a bunch of different platforms, but, like, vulnerability is one's greatest strength. Mm-hmm. Like, it just is. It's open. To me, that's my thoughts. Um, that's, that's what I believe. And that what the more that we can be vulnerable mm-hmm. allows everyone else around us to connect and feel safe 
to express themselves authentically. Right. And by the way, you have a you have something you said, and I just want to make sure that everybody knows that this was Isabella Welch's quote. And we say, if you decide to use it, <laughs> so we're, I'm going to let you say it. Authenticity is what? Is the new currency. There we go. Authenticity is the new currency. I was just going to come back also to, you, you called it positive toxicity, in the sense that Toxic people positivity. can be positive, but it doesn't mean it's felt on the other side. So often people can say positive things, but if their authenticity doesn't go along with it, it isn't felt, it's not authentic. Yeah. Energy is powerful. Energy, energy is powerful and where it's really coming from yeah. really matters. It's the real heart of the matter. Totally. And I think that's like kind of what it's touching on is, is how do we create, how do I, in my circumstance, maintain a positive outlook despite the things that I'm dealing with, mm-hmm. right? And it would be so easy to not be in that place, to not have this, you know, outlook on, on life. It would be really easy. I mean, there's a million reasons why I shouldn't. And I come back to that, like, that's not what I'm meant to do in this world. Mm-hmm. And that, that, it's actually not about me at all. <laughs> when you're really looking at it, right? Like, it's not about me. Right, right. It's about creating that connection and understanding and and redefining mm-hmm. all these, exactly. so, you know, components of right. so that's, life. But so that's, that's the other thing, right? So not only are you hoping to help people understand the significance of of being authentic first because then they truly dealt with what it is they're you know they're being confronted with subconsciously or consciously on a regular basis but then the second thing is taking the time to truly stop and be present and understand what's going on with others we're never going to understand it all but but giving people the space which we talk about often Steph talks about this a lot in her work you know we have to give each other the space to be themselves you know let them know that you you you're listening that you 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 know you see them you hear them and then from there you know being able to take some of the tools that you've learned that have helped you and hopefully they can either come up with their own, you know, utilizing that as a base, you know, giving people space and listening and being present. Uh, yeah, just talk about that a little bit about yeah. about just maybe a little bit even more about some of the other work that you're hoping to do in terms of carrying on yeah. some of these things you've learned. I think what you were saying is, what we were touching on earlier, is this idea that, you know, I mean, I have symptoms randomly throughout my day all the time. And I use those moments when I'm like I could turn a doorknob and it would burst a vein in my finger and it's really painful and kind of takes my breath away and I have to pause for a moment. And instead of being consumed by that pain and perpetuating that pain cycle, I've learned how to find something in the room that really engages me that sparks that sparks like love and and just like a happiness it, it's a feeling inside mm-hmm. so it could be like the way the light's hitting it could be my favorite plant my favorite color or a nice photo i if i'm really symptomatic i'll even go through old photos and videos on my phone and mm. just that connect me back to be able to compartmentalize the pain too mm-hmm. so that i'm not perpetuating that cycle of the pain because when we focus so much on the pain that that's all we feel. 
mm-hmm. is it? Like there's, so when I'm able to have that moment and focus on my breath and, you know, reevaluate the situation and come back to the present moment. Mm-hmm. And then be like, okay, yeah. And just carry on with my day. But then I use that as a moment to also have a second of gratitude, like take a moment to be grateful. You know, there's so much research surrounding having gratitude and what I would call savoring, which would be like a moment in which you really use all your senses to absorb a situation. Mm -hmm. So like one of my favorite things is to watch the sunset. I love it. Mm -hmm. I think it just puts everything for me back into perspective, realize like how big this world is, how big this universe is, like that this, you know, there's so much more beyond me. And when I can feel so consumed in my own world because of my experience, it just allows me to reset in a way. And I do this thing where I like, yeah, I, in my head, I'll really try to recognize, okay, like what's the sounds that I'm hearing and what's the weather like and what are the colors that, you know, really creating this image in my mind that I can then go back to in those more difficult times and as a, almost like as a way, like a preventative care measure mm-hmm. for, for pain and compartmentalizing pain. And that's like a little bit off. Well, no, I mean, and, and, and you know, and keep in mind just so that our audience is aware, like this isn't, this is one of, of a few different series we'll be, we're going to be having Bella on to talk about because, you know, pain management and awareness is one of the things that you've learned from your very, <laughs> you've learned a lot yeah. in your in your 27 years on yeah. this planet, but there's a whole nother aspect to that about, you know, just, I know, research, we want to go into that a little bit about... And the tools. And the tools, that you, These right. are the tools that yeah. you, you use in order yeah. to, to shift. Right. For sure. And I think that's what's interesting is at my most symptomatic place, I was going to so many doctors and being prescribed so many different medications and helping trying to manage it. And then it was actually making everything worse. Right. And so learning how to manage the pain more holistically has been a really cool journey and has really is really something that I'm really passionate about mm-hmm. and continue to want to share with different communities and, and creating awareness around it because I think we're so tapped into the system the system you know (laughs) and that system while it's set up basically this idea of like listening to your intuition to the ump degree Mm -hmm. and like knowing that you know what's best for your body and using the resources and the tools and the research to help create those you know mechanisms of Mm -hmm. you know skills and tools but that it really took me like diving into a different world of research mm-hmm. and management. Yeah, and that's stressful. I mean, just dealing with, you know, one doctor for many people or, you know, just setting up an appointment these days. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that, too, that you've learned about. And we'll be touching on that, you know, in, in sort of in the next series with you. But, but that, And that's what uh, assist removing the stress, right, is the manage, the way that you're managing through it with the tools that you've gathered and created and made so that it makes all of that doable in a sense and brings you some joy with the little things. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm really into preventative care, prevention in, in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, I studied human development and family studies and with that would 
I mean, if I wanted to go, if that was, which was what I was planning on doing, was to set up preventative programs mm. in local communities, um, parent programs and parenting programs and stuff like that. And it's all surrounding prevention and like what you just touched on, Steph, with how those tools are actually a preventative, you know, um, like a prevention plan, I would say. And relatable. They are so relatable. I mean, it's like you've been through this and you've had this intense journey that's maybe, it's definitely made you much more aware, faster than, you know, a lot of people spend their entire lives trying to battle things that, you know, but they, but they, it never gets to a point where if they don't do that, they might die or they, you know, so they just sort of, are, you know, casually kind of, you know, apathetically in, in a sense, really, yeah. they, or they'll look at it, but uh, you know, they need to work out so they look good or they need, but not really understanding like when something happens and you're really going to have to call on those tools, if you haven't been doing them your entire life and you haven't, you know, they haven't been important to you, then you might not be able to get through a situation that is even a lot less complicated and intense as yours. So, yeah. I think that's what I learned with the EDS because I just got, I got to a breaking point in college where there was just, I'd been months of flare-ups of like nonstop, it didn't stop. That ridden and just had gone to this place where I was like, oh my goodness, like even if my life is going because it felt like I was going down this trajectory that it was because it was only getting worse and worse. There wasn't an end in sight. So it just felt like this is how my life is going to be. And that this is how my life was going to be. And if I, I just realized I didn't, that like, even if this is the situation, even if this is the outcome, I'm not wasting my life continuing to feel this way. And the only thing that I have control and power and the ability to really change is my perspective. Mm -hmm. And I was, yeah, I was in a biofeedback clinic and I just, I can't, I had this, what I would say is like an epiphany moment. And that was seven, six, seven years ago now. And mm -hmm. wow, six years ago, something like that. And it, ever since then, it's not that it just poof went away, but every way that I spoke to myself and any time I would find myself in a negative, you know, thought pattern, I would interrupt it. And so it's been years of practice, but there's small things that we can all implement. And what you were just saying in this, yes, my experience might be very unique to me, but the thing about it is that these emotions, they're emotions and emotions are universal. Mm -hmm. You might experience and be able to relate to that because of your experience. Not that it's the same, but the the emotions behind it are the same. So it's relatable. Right. Totally. Yeah. And I was also just to come back to is just that, you know, you're young. So like the, you know, the pattern that we would look at, you know, because you were at a state where they said, okay, this, this is a disease that continues on and gets worse and worse. Mm -hmm. And so like, I just feel that there's this pattern that we learn that we like, we grow and then we decline. And so like, if we're all in the mindset of like, we grow up and we have everything and then we just decline, 
then we're missing the regenerative parts that you're speaking to, where what you have done and are adding to is the tools that helped you regenerate. And while you might have taken years to learn them and to get them so they work for you, the gift that you can give back will be much sooner because you've already mm-hmm. like uh, kind of refined them so mm-hmm. much that they can help somebody immediately while you had to walk that whole path. Yeah. So I'm just sort of the frame that you're speaking of of have like your own process of that you know you heard you're just going to decline and like having that mindset is so destructive yeah. and so like all the places where anybody with an illness or older age or whatever might be in a state of decline and where you're gifting back in a way is the way that I'm sort of seeing it of this regenerative process of the tools actually working with you that you actually are feeling good many times and not defined by that because you've changed your own frame and also like the way it affects you doesn't affect you the same way because the effect was also creating the cause of everything around you. So I'm just sort of yeah wrapping that back around. Yeah, no, it, it's a very good point. And exactly why you wanted to come on this podcast, why we, you know, determined that this is a story that your story, it absolutely had to be told. And there's so much to learn. I mean, like I keep saying, this is not just one podcast because there's so many things that we could talk about here. But I think as an introduction, you know, just, you know, you, you sharing, you know, your story a little bit and, and then, you know, sort of how you're dealing or how you've dealt with the things that are more acute and got you to this place are now opening up so many doors, which we'll be sharing too, right? Yeah. We're going to be talking a lot more about that and, and other podcasts and talks. And yeah. <laughs> this isn't your first podcast, that's no, for sure. This is not. <laughs> but I'm so grateful to be able to like share. I mean, I've been able to do it on different platforms and it's so amazing to be able to do it in our local community as well. You know, I think we live in such we're I mean, I'm so grateful that we to grow up here and we live in such a beautiful place. I almost feel guilty not experiencing it. Yeah. And like letting, you know, taking 10 minutes, even though I don't want to, to like just go outside. Yeah. You know, like there's, there's, and just like, yeah, it's yeah, such it's an a, interesting. And I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm the worst of the three of us here. I mean, I every day I just always talk about <laughs> about exercise and and you know. But no, seriously. I mean, I'm, this is uh, it's part of. I mean, really, it, it has me thinking about it. I mean, I could work and work and work and never really go out and experience things and get caught up in all in this. And I think I know there are a lot of people that are not like that who live here, but there are those people that don't take advantage and appreciate what is right here in our backyard enough and I'm one of them I could do it a lot more which is something that it's already helped me being around you just you telling me you know like you know you might be not feeling good and the first thing you do is get outside and enjoy and take it on nature and you know it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a great thing and I think we all need to be reminded that hey look out your window look where we are yeah. get out you know because that's the first healing thing right so Definitely. after this I'm going to go on a I'm going to go on a three minute walk no, no seriously <laughs> I mean if that's no but for real like it's like little things like that that we often just put to the side because we don't have time or it doesn't feel like we have the capacity to do so and there's a way to do it where it doesn't have to be long it doesn't have to be this huge like I was talking about earlier with exercise it doesn't have to be this all-in-one thing Mm -hmm. to get that benefit 
Exactly. I also think that, you know, the, the part where there, not everybody does live in nature and 100%. not and not everybody can leave their homes. And right. what I'm bringing back is like the, the moments that we do have that we can savor the sun or savor mm-hmm. the trees or touch the trees or be in it are the moments that we can recall back when we are in circumstances that we can't go anywhere. The more that we can sort of bring in that field of awareness around us, the more that like instead of just walking and talking and being in nature and not even remembering you were in it, but really to take it in because it will be there for us when we go back into that memory to pull back out when we need it, like you spoke of in the way that it could heal you when you remember the walk that you, and then wanting to get back to it. So just sort of that. I don't think there's many people, I mean, including myself when I get to bed, I mean, every time I do take the time and put that for it, I do go outside. I mean, it's like, it's amazing. It'll change my whole day. It'll change my attitude. It changes how I'm responding, you know, but again, we just, we get caught up in our lives and we forget that how important it is to reconnect with where we came from, bring it all back. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. And I think it's interesting, too, like, I also recognize, like, that the ability to be productive, the ability to have a job is a luxury. Like, it's actually, you know, we don't think about it like that, but it's a luxury. Totally. To be able to to show up every day and, and do work, like... Yes, of course, there's components of it that that are hard and difficult, but to be able to do that is huge. And like how this, again, like a moment of like gratitude for the ability to do that, because I mean, yeah, I've had spurts of my life where I'm unable to work or go to school and it really impacts you and how you think about yourself Mm -hmm. from a worth standpoint and a self-esteem, self-concept. And during that phase of my life, it really forced me to reevaluate, like, what is happiness? What is life about? Is it, you know? Totally. And reevaluating all of it. Right. Because if I can't work, and then, you know, like, where's the meaning in life? Right? If I I can't be around friends, if I can't... Uh If I'm isolated, how do you find that purpose? Totally. To keep going. Yeah. And reevaluating that, it, that's what that for. It forced me to reevaluate everything. Staring at the blank page before you open up the dirty window, let the sun illuminate the words that you could not find. Reaching for something in the distance, so close you can almost taste it. Release your inhibitions, feel the rain. Yeah, so as I was saying about these different tools that I've learned over the years, a big one has been creativity and getting creative. And this idea that when we can focus our mind in a creative outlet, it's almost a form of meditation. So I make like, definitely during flare-ups, I'll make jewelry and different macrames, things that are a repetitive motion that can literally focus all of your energy into something that is creating something as a form of pain management because when you know we're in so much pain we're focusing on the pain then it almost like instills it into our body and things like tv or even music couldn't get me past it but i found that if i could do a repetitive motion like making jewelry and kind of focus all my energy into something that feels 
beautiful and creative and engaging and then having something to show for it afterwards, then it felt like the time that I was setting aside to take care of myself had purpose to it. And it really got me into working within, working to create, you know, these different tools to help manage and find purpose when it feels like maybe there isn't any. And especially with flare-ups and the EDS, I think it's really hard because being consistent and feeling like I can go to a nine-to-five job doesn't always feel possible. And so when I would be in these big flare-ups and not necessarily able to go to school or, you know, maintain a job, I felt really hopeless and didn't see a sense of purpose. And I found that when I would engage in creative outlets, then like I was just saying, it really felt like it created a purpose and a purpose during those times when without that, it would have felt like a waste of time. And then I was just putting my life on pause rather than engaging in things that feel purposeful and feel like I'm, I'm creating rather than just putting my life on pause. And it was just a huge a really huge turning point in all of it. Yeah, I'm just going to draw back to because if you didn't have the shift in your mindset that had some hope in it, then getting to there would even be something that wouldn't would be too hard to do in a sense because because of having hope, then you can start to you you see what I mean? Yeah, I mean, hopelessness, the state of hopelessness is is a wild state, right? Like that again, there's so much research out there about hopeless, like being in a state of hopelessness. And going back to that, a huge way to, well, first off, that's what I was experiencing when I had that epiphany moment of, oh my God, it, even if life is this, isn't this hard, it doesn't have to be this hard, you know? And I was hopeless at that moment. I'd been hopeless for a long time. And I'd, I'd already overcome so many things as a child. And, you know, I was so strong, quote unquote, you know, because I'd experienced all these surgeries and done all these things. And yet I was completely hopeless to the um degree. And so that's where I come back into savoring and gratitude and the impacts that that has on hope and fostering and developing that hope, right? Like totally. we have, there's opportunities to be able to reestablish, regenerate that Yes. It only come from that. It only come from that. It comes from the hope. Without it, we're yeah, right. Yeah, that's so. a beautiful place to to end this very our first. First of all, thank you both for being here. This is our very first look at life from the other side of the mountain. We have a beautiful mountain here, and you know we should all be on it all the time. But we should also take the time to cross over and look at everything from a different perspective. And I think, yeah, go yeah, ahead. I was yeah. going to say, it, it doesn't have to be like that you necessarily get outside. It can even be like driving home, you know, That's and, true. Like, and having a moment of like, wow, this is a gorgeous sunset as I'm driving and sitting in traffic that I don't want to be in. With, like, with our children. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. there's ways in which we can incorporate it that doesn't have to take up all the time and energy and, you know, all this it doesn't have to be a production. Yeah, yeah. Or, or all this dedication. Yeah. It doesn't need... Every moment. Yes. 
Oh yeah, every moment, every, every moment. Falling down on me, I said I will walk along these hillsides. In the summer, neath the sunshine, I am feathered by the moon.